Hello, and welcome to the fifth Oxford Leadership Knowledge Club member interview podcast. Hi, Philippa. Hi, how are you? Very good, thanks. How are you today? Great, I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, delighted uh, to be joined today by Giles Gunasakera um, from Australia. Um, and we didn't actually, where are you, in Sydney? I'm based in Sydney, yeah. Based in Sydney. So it's m- early morning for me and getting a bit late at night for you, I feel. Uh, no, it's okay. It's uh, 4.30 in the afternoon. Oh, no, it's fine. Dark. Getting yeah. dark. Yeah, not even yeah. wine time yet. Not even wine time. No, no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, perfect. Now, let me just say a little bit about you. So you are um, founder and CEO of Global Impact Initiative, which connects the power of wise investments uh, with a noble purpose with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So this is impact investments, capitalism with a conscience. Um, you uh, went to Oxford in June 2013. Um, you're an outstanding alumnus um, of the programme for creating innovative, sustainable business that generates a positive social impact. You're the fellow of many institutions um, and a board member. You're on the not, not of not-for-profit, non-exec roles. And you're also, um, very excitingly, an ambassador uh, for the ICC T20 World Cup Championships. So, where do you have time to fit it all in? <laughs> Quite easy, Philippa. Like you, uh, I think sleep's overrated. So uh, I'd, I'd much prefer just to uh, do really interesting things in my day. And um, my mum's uh, adage of uh, you can sleep when you're dead, Giles, um, kind of re- continues to ring through in my ears um, as we kind of get through all the uh, awesome things that we have to do that, that not that we have to do, but that we do, you know, each day. And, you know, I'm in a really fortunate position, you know, running my own business now that, you know, the things that I do, um, I'm genuinely passionate about it and I want to do them. So um, it works, works for everyone. Brilliant. Okay. And so that's, let's start there. Um, Because uh, I understand that you had a a youthful desire uh, to be a pilot. So how do we go from that to becoming um, the money man with a social purpose? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I always thought uh, that I would, you know, either be a, um, you know, a pilot uh, that's reading the Financial Times or the Financial Review in the cockpit, or, um, you know, or someone in investment markets that uh, that flies on the weekend. So, you know, for me, it was the latter. Um, but also it was, um, you know, a, I, I guess a bit of a story about, um, you know, dealing with setbacks. Uh, you know, I'd, I did my first ever uh, solo flight uh, in a glider when I was 14, uh, or even, even prior to that, uh, what really kind of... Um, uh, gave me the bug uh, for aviation was um, when I was 10, uh, my parents, uh, my family and, and I, um, we packed up and moved to London for six months. Uh, and uh, my dad was a doctor, my dad's a doctor, and he took a, a six month sabbatical. Uh, and I remember saying that, oh, you know, why are, we, why are we going to London? He said, oh, you know, I've got this course that I want to do and, you know, I want to do it. 
but meanwhile, on the um, on the first day that we landed in London, the first thing he did was went and bought a new set of uh, a new uh, set of whites, or oh, sorry, creams, uh, a new cricket bag, uh, and found himself a cricket club at which to play with. And I said, oh, "Dad, aren't you here to study?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll get to that bit later." Uh, but um, the uh, we 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 lived uh, in we we lived in in Europe. Uh, well, we lived in London for four months, uh, and then we travelled around uh, Europe for the other two months. And that was just an absolutely mind blowing experience uh, for someone coming from Australia. That you know is is a fantastic country, but just not rich in history like uh, you have over there in Europe. So to experience that firsthand. Um, you know, was was wonderful, but this was back in the days too, where you could sit in the cockpit uh, and you could, you know, take off and land with the pilot. So that was quite an experience as a ten-year-old. So when I returned to Australia, um, I joined an organisation called the Australian Air League. Um, learned all the theory and education around flying. Uh, did my first glider uh, flight when I was fourteen. Uh, I did my first solo flight uh, in, a, in a powered aircraft when I was 16. So before I could drive a car, I was, I was flying a plane, which was pretty cool. Um, and then uh, the intention was that I would um, join the Air Force. Uh, and I wanted to join the Air Force not because I was especially interested in, in the military. I actually wasn't interested in the military um, at all. Um, I, joined, I, was, I wanted to join the Air Force because um, it had one of the best training programs. Uh, so you had access to, you know, to all these fantastic planes, um, uh, you know, a training program, which was based obviously around, you know, acquiring those uh, flying skills, but also, you know, physical fitness. Um, and then also there was a, um, the, what was called the Australian Defence Force Academy, which um, you went to. Um, it was a. It was basically a, a university campus just for the military, um, and you got a degree. So I thought, tick, tick, tick. You know, great skills. There was no wars happening, um, and in ten years' time, I retire as a um, as a uh, Air Force pilot. And uh, the first place that Qantas looks for pilots is the retiring the t- retiring list of, uh, of, of of pilots from the Air Force. Um, so that was the plan. Um, I passed my medicals, passed my physicals. I had all the right marks. I did all the right subjects. Um, but the one physical exam that I didn't pass, um, which was which which uh, um, unfortunately meant I couldn't get into the Air Force or into the Navy or into any sort of flying job with the services, was I was slightly short-sighted. Um, and when I say slightly short-sighted, it, for, for those of you out there um, uh, that know uh, how it's all measured, I was minus 0.01 um, in, in short-sightedness. So at that time, the Air Force were only taking, uh, I think it was about 12 or 15 pilots nationally. Um, and although I was ranking uh, pretty highly in, in all the other categories, that one, um, that one, you know, failed, not, 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 that was a failed eyesight test, but, you know, the, the less than perfect uh, eyesight meant that, uh, yeah, that it didn't happen. So I instigated plan B and, uh, yeah, ended up doing a, a commerce degree and, um, this is where I am now, Philippa, <laughs> and a few other qualifications along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's quite a lot of those as well, also on your, on your list. Um, 
Great. Okay. So, you know, I'm hearing to start off with there, your curiosity. So it starts with flying and then it's the social and the history and the travel. And then that constant, what sort of strikes me is that looking for excellence. So in the way you're mm. describing it and pushing yourself. And then, um, then all of a sudden, you know, well, it can't happen. You've got this very absolute focus and it can't happen. And it mm. sort of strikes me, it probably wasn't your first um, moment of that. But if I, I think to the Oxford experience, that's a moment of I've got to unlearn to relearn right yes. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you how did you take that when you got that news? How did it how did it feel? Oh, look, it was it was definitely disappointing, mm. uh, but it was always uh, you know I, I did have other interests, um, mm. so I, I wasn't you know one hundred. Yes, while I was focused on achieving that, I also you know um, I didn't dislike the idea of going to a normal university as opposed to a military university. I didn't dislike the idea of you know just doing a straight commerce course, and then also. Um, you know, and also the, a great way of rationalising it was, well, I could do a commerce degree, end up in the finance investment world and then have enough money to pay for my own flying lessons anyway. So either way, Philippa, I knew I was going to get there. Um, it was just how I was going to get there. You know, was I was I going to do uh, and I was passionate about both things, both, you know, finance and investments. I bought, I bought my yeah. first shares when I was 16. Um, I remember asking my dad, you know how do I buy a share? And he said, I don't know, but I'll talk to one of my patients. Um, He spoke to one of his patients. They were a stockbroker in the city. I got on the train one day and said, you know, here's some money I've been saving up. I'd like to buy some shares. So, you know, I was buying those shares. I was engaging in in aviation. Yes, it was definitely an initial disappointment. And I did try a few other avenues. You know, we looked at, you know, could I get it corrected surgically and all that sort of thing. But then ultimately just said, we just need to move on. Um, I'm I'm going to be a pilot, but it's just going to be um, behind a different type of plane. <laughs> um, and I still mm. get to do, you know, what I'm passionate about. You know, I still retained uh, my interest in the in the air league, and I was teaching kids, um, you know, the the aviation theory and the meteorology and the navigation. Um, so I still kept a hand in the in the aviation side, even even. Um, after high school um, and through being in the in the air league being an officer and and then you know being a teacher uh, as well so that was a way that I you know kept my hand in but yeah I I guess I had in the back of my mind that plan B anyway Um, so I'm not I'm not suggesting that you know um, you know it was just really really easy I just rebounded and got myself off the ground and and uh, you know picked myself up and and went to uni um there was a lot of soul searching. There was a lot of, you know, what if, um, uh, this is unfair, all those other, you know, emotions that you go through. But ultimately, um, you know, we, we, um, we, we ended up, you know, ended up where we ended up. Yeah. And those are the experiences that you, you draw on, don't you? And they give you strength and they build, they build you. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the first setback, um, certainly wasn't going to be the last. So it was a case of, you know, what are we going to, how do we learn from this? You know, how do we move forward? Ultimately, I think also being a pretty um, outcome focused person, um, you know, just always have been the sort of person that, you know, tries to focus on the outcome, tries to focus on the task at hand, obviously, you know, 
you have these aspirations and dreams um, and, uh, you know, and, yeah, sometimes they're fulfilled, sometimes they're not. But, yeah, having that plan B, you know, for me certainly helped. I mean, it might have been a different – it would have been – it could have been a very different story, you know, had I um, – yeah, had I not had a plan B, I'm not quite sure, you know, how I would have reacted then, but um, I'm sure something would have happened. Yeah, definitely. Um, I can I can only imagine that. Um, so tell me uh, a little bit about impact uh, investments, if you like, and how, you know, how very specifically from this, you know, buying some shares when you're age 16, what took you down the route of impact investments rather than more traditional financial investments? And tell me what's sort of going on in that that world at the moment. Yeah, so I started Global Impact Initiative after spending uh, 30, uh, you know, 20 plus years in funds management. So um, in 2015, uh, we established, I, I established uh, Global Impact Initiative. Um, but simultaneously to spending that time in funds management, I'd also, you know, had spent and continue to spend um, a lot of time in um, the not-for-profit world. And so, um, you know, what I was getting increasingly frustrated about was, you know, in the corporate sector, there's lots of money, uh, but there's very few good ideas. Uh, But in the not-for-profit world, there's great ideas and not a lot of money. Um, And when I first started um, researching this area of impact investing, I just thought, well, this is is the answer. You know, why can't you make money and also generate financial returns at the same time? So um, that really set me down the path of, you know, I need to get into this. I need to investigate it. You know, I need to, I need to learn more. Uh, and then it was a, a fortuitous conversation. At the time, I was um, working for a, a funds management firm. One of the consultants was a gentleman called uh, Professor Aman Rajan, who was a fellow at Oxford. Uh, and Aman, and I was talking to Aman just generally about my, you know, career plans, what I wanted to do. Um, uh, And I was contemplating an MBA at the time. Uh, And at the time I had, you know, my undergraduate degree, I had a graduate diploma, I had a master's in finance and investment. Um, And he said, why do you want to do an MBA? And I said, oh, you know, moving up the corporate ladder and, you know, da-da-da-da, you know, I want to, you know, I I thought those skills, you know, and and that learning would be, uh, you know, would be useful. And he said, no, no, you're much better off going and doing something more leadership focused. You've got the finance credentials. You know how to run a business. Um, you know, most, you know, typically a lot of people that do MBAs are typically trying to improve, particularly the finance element um, of their learning or their or their lack of learning. Um, and, you know, he, he didn't think that I needed that. So, um, you know, we invested, oh, sorry, investigated the Harvard course, Stanford, um, and the Oxford course, um, and yeah, he um, introduced me to to Lully. Um, you know, the thing I really loved about the program, you know, when I compared it to so many others, was uh, the immersive nature of it. So I knew that I, I I knew that I had to go overseas. Like I needed to do a program that was either based overseas or um, or, or had lots of international uh, students. Uh, doing a program that was much more than just, you know, the typical, um, 
Yeah, the typical the typical program. So you know, having uh, and I'm sure we'll go into it in a little bit more detail. But you know, having that exposure, to, um, you know, to acting coaches, to executive coaches, to um, you know, the, all those different, uh, you know, learning Shakespeare, you know, learning archery, all those great things that Oxford had. Um, you know, I really wanted that much more kind of mind, body, spirit um, experience. So, yeah, that uh, led me uh, to Oxford. Pleasingly, uh, Lalith accepted me into the program. Uh, you know, I, 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 as you mentioned in your intro, um, I'd already been on lots of boards and served on lots of boards um, in the not-for-profit area uh, and, you know, learnt heaps from that experience. To, uh, to the program, we're actually trying to get onto not-for-profit boards and I already had that experience. But the great thing was is that, you know, we all just, you know, we all just learned together. Um, and so getting onto that course, you know, and, and experiences that have brought me, um, I, I then came back to Australia, did some further study uh, and then launched the business, uh, which it is today, uh, Global Impact Initiative in 2015. Um, and yeah, the purpose behind the business is how do we mainstream impact investing and how do we do so at scale? So, you know, in my research, I found that um, a lot of people were really interested in impact investing, but they didn't know kind of exactly how to make it work. Um, you know, they didn't know how to scale it. Uh, and that's what we uh, aim to do. You know, we are, uh, we, we're working with investors, we're working with government, we're working with the UN uh, in order to bring purpose to capital uh, and to help people generate returns on their investments, but more importantly, uh, generate uh, and accelerate social impact uh, across the various communities that we work in, and also to measure, map and monitor that social impact. So it's all very well to say, yeah, we did a great job, but the beauty of impact investing is that you need to be intentional around the impact that you're creating, but you also need to then, you know, measure that impact that you're creating as well. And that's what, you know, we love about everything that we do is that we can bring a human face to every dollar that's invested. Um, and this is going to become the norm. You know, as I say to my family, my team, you know, anyone that would care to listen, uh, no one's going to say impact investing in the not too distant future. They're just going to say investing. Uh, and that's, you know, that's where I hope we, we move to. And I think we're going to get there. I, I think we're going to get there in my lifetime. But uh, yeah, that's, that's the purpose uh, behind, behind the business is how do we bring that human face um, to capital uh, and use money in, in the way that it should be used? Because there's no shortage of money. It's just not used appropriately. Okay. So I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, obviously, I've read a little bit um, about you growing up that you shared a, a chapter of a book that you've written um, uh, for Lalite. Um, and one of the things that you talk about in that are your childhood experiences of injustice. Um, and that's some of that, I think, is to do with your heritage. So do you think that that has been an absolute sort of red thread for you throughout this and then what I was hearing then was you went you know when you went to Oxford it was like right now it's falling into place and this is how I'm going to create this is the mm. this is what I want to do so how did that all come together and how influential was the Oxford experience in sort of bringing that to to fruition oh without a doubt it was it was it was critical uh you know it was critical for me 
the Oxford experience at the time in my life, um, uh, the journey that I was on, putting it all together. Um, you know, I mentioned before that, you know, sitting on a lot of not-for-profit boards, I remember I remember one stage counting them up and I think I was on, not I think, I, I know, I was on eight not-for-profit boards um, of all various sizes and I was working and I had um, a family and I was trying to exercise and look after myself and I just thought, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, this is a little bit crazy, but in hindsight, you know, what I was doing was I was getting purpose in my life because I was working in a job which I really loved, but deep down it wasn't giving me the satisfaction. And in the not-for-profit world, I was surrounded by predominantly females. Um, uh, so in, in, in my day job, I was surrounded by predominantly males. Um, in my not-for-profit world, I was surrounded by not only females, but people of different um, uh, different ethnic backgrounds, different sexual orientations, um, dif- just there was there was diversity. Um, mm-hmm. And from that diversity, that was where all the learning came from. And so, you know, the Oxford experience, you know, for me, really brought to the fore that diversity is good and diversity is okay. And so I'd spent this lot in my life, you know, growing up in, you know, a so-called multicultural Australia that didn't actually embrace the multiculturalism. Um, you know, Australia doesn't even embrace, you know, its Indigenous heritage, let alone its, uh, you know, multicultural um, uh, environment. You know, we, you know, it, it, it happens like we've got the food and we've got the restaurants, but the actual um, implementation and when the rubber hits the road, you know, there's still not enough people sitting on boards that are, that are brown or the people of colour. There's not enough people with, you know, different sexual orientations that are sitting on boards. There's not enough, there's, there's, it's always kind of 55-year-old, you know, plus people. Um, and so the Oxford experience, you know, the ability to sit in a room with 35 people, 26 nationalities, 19 different industries um, and an age group of 35 to 65 just really brought it home that, this diversity thing works, you know, um, I'd experienced it in that not-for-profit world, but, you know, in that community. And when I say it works, it works because we're working on problems together. We were talking to each other, you know, every single one of those people, I still count as a friend today. There wasn't one person in that room that I didn't want to sit down and and talk to uh, and share a meal with or share a drink with. So, it was just absolutely incredible from that perspective. And then also, you know, the, through the learning activities, you know, seeing, um, you know, working through, um, you know, the Boeing case study and the and there was only three people with any finance experience in the room, but the, the guy who's running the not-for-profit in India asking much better questions than anyone uh, about Boeing's, you know, balance sheet than anyone that's got finance experience because he was looking at it through a totally different lens. You know, he was using his experience and his knowledge of a different sector um, to then apply it to a sector he knew nothing about um, and certainly a concept uh, and, and certainly a topic that he wasn't an expert in, which is finance, to ask some of the best questions. So I think also what that reveals, um, as we're always told in life, but, um, you know, it, we don't always follow it. You know, your quality of life is determined by the questions that you ask, not by the answers uh, that you that you give. Um, and that 
experience of asking and seeing the quality of questions that were coming out was just, yeah, it was, it was absolutely mind blowing. It was life changing. Um, and I just cannot, you know, talk more highly about the experience, but also the learning, the friendships, um, and that Oxford, uh, approach towards learning, which is we're going to, we're going to address this. We're going to attack this through, mind, body, spirit. Uh, it's not just about sitting in a classroom reading case studies. You need to have conversations with people. Um, and that's, that was yeah, one, of the, one of the greatest learnings from the program for me. So, yes, you were, um, one of the things that I was reading that you, when you were talking about your Oxford experience in your book was that the answers were in front of you. So it was just that moment of sort of pause, reflection, drawing from the the richness and the wisdom around you really to take it forward absolutely yeah um okay and so now um obviously clearly we're going to have uh, sports fans and uh, listening to this and some very strong cricket fans because obviously um cricket is played in oxford uh Lilith's rules I'm not quite sure what they are um <laughs> but but as i said at the start you're an ambassador for the icc t20 world uh, cup championships so can you talk to me a little bit about that because that links very much in with the diversity thread that is just mm. absolutely prevalent in your life so talk to me about what what you've been doing with there and what what you found yeah no it's a really good question the there is a very direct link. So I was introduced to um, the head of the ICC organising committee um, a couple of years ago. Um, so the uh, T20 World Cup was held in um, Australia in 2020, or at least the, the women's element of it was was held um, in February and March. And um, as we were, you know, got talking with the ICC, it was very, very clear that uh, diversity and inclusion were were really big uh, goals of theirs. And as a business, you know, that's that you know, gender equality and diversity and inclusion permeates everything that we do. Um, as an individual, um, having done a lot of work on uh, gender equality, particularly through Amnesty International and Stop and um, uh, White Ribbon Association, it was something that I'm extremely uh, passionate about. But also the other thing that the ICC wanted to incorporate, uh, particularly in the Women's World Cup, was the engagement of the different um, communities uh, that were in that were involved in the World Cup. So, you know, the subcontinental community, the West Indian communities, um, you know, all the different, um, you know, the English, the, the Kiwis, but particularly... Um, you know the uh, you know the subcontinental communities were were an area that, um, based on research, they found that you know they were obviously passionate cricket fans, but not necessarily um, uh, a, a passionate uh, and would go to a women, women women's game. So um, I came on board with a number of other ambassadors to really promote. Um, the Women's World Cup and particularly the, um, you know, and particularly to men, uh, but also to women. Um, and the results were, were absolutely incredible. You know, the, one of the highest percentages of men being uh, women's, uh, women's cricket game in the world, um, one of the highest um, attended uh, T20 Women's World, Final, uh, World Cup final, which was 88,000 at uh, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. 
Um, but, you know, something that I was just really, you know, proud of um, was that right from the start, we said diversity and inclusion, you know, as a collective, um, uh, you know, we said diversity and inclusion were, were had, had to be a focus. So I wasn't going to be there to sit on a committee or sit on a board and, and, and be the token brown person or be the token brown people. We, we need to be realistic about this. And the, the CEO was just incredible, a gentleman called Nick Hockley. Um, who went from running the World Cup to now um, running Cricket Australia. Uh, but Nick um, went to um, – I lost count of how many Diwali festivals, how many um, different religious <laughs> events that he went to, as well as a number of ambassadors, to really tell that message to the audience, which was, um, you know, cricket's played by everyone um, and we want you there. We want you, um, you know, to respect the game, respect the athletes, um, and, uh, and 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 come along. And more importantly, support and have fun. So, yeah, as I said before, one of the highest percentages of women, uh, men attending women's uh, games, high percentage of families, high percentage of women uh, uh, attending, um, and more importantly, uh, you know, the diversity uh, was was definitely there. So when you looked around the ground. Um, you know, at a West Indies Australia game, yes, there was lots of West Indians, but there were lots of Sri Lankans, there were lots of ba- uh, Bangladeshis, there were lots of Indians. You know, it was just a really good illustration of, you know, if you're genuine and authentic around this and you put in structures and processes in place to achieve that diversity, um, it will happen. Um, and sadly, you know, it, you know, it's starting to happen. I mean, not starting to happen. It's been more, in different parts of the world. You know, if we think about corporate boards as an example, you know, it is actually really easy to get diversity, you know, um, at, at face value anyway, because, you know, you add people of people of colour, you know, women onto a board, you know, and you get that, you can, you can at least visually get that diversity. You know, the next challenge is now inclusion, uh, making sure that, those voices are heard and that, you know, those processes and systems around decision-making are not the same. So, you know, those processes, you know, need to be changed to make sure that they're, that they're inclusive. I mean, also if I look at Australia as an example, you know, Australia, um, uh, you know, is on the doorstep to the subcontinent, you know, billion plus people in India a billion plus people in China. We, our economy has done phenomenally well um, from Asia, from the subcontinent. And yet when you look at our top one, you know, top 100 listed companies in Australia, very few people of colour, very few people uh, of, you know, of Chinese, Hong Kong uh, descent sitting on those boards. Um, and I just kind of look at that and I think, wow, um, look at the progress that this country has made um, by not having diversity, could you imagine if we actually did have diversity on those boards? I mean, we would be absolutely unstoppable. Uh, and as a country, we punch above our weight in so many areas, you know, in the sporting field. Um, you know, we've got the fourth largest retirement savings market in the world because we've got a compulsory retirement savings system and we've had that for, 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 for 30 plus years. So we've got, we've got all these things which have set us up for success. Um, and it's it's frustrating, but also exciting at the same time. That if we do genuinely embrace um, diversity and inclusion, it's a game changer. You know, it's a game changer for you know for 
these companies, but more importantly, it's a, it's a game changer for people and communities. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you're doing through your organisation, isn't it? And I think one of the things that sort of stood out for me when you were telling the story about Nick, but this comes through in everything that you've been saying, and we know about inclusion and diversity, is that leadership mm. vision, um, leadership really being really, really clear about a, what this means, but then doing it, you know, mm. so your words and your deeds, uh, there's congruence between what you're saying and what you're doing. And quite often there isn't. So people mm. will talk about diversity, inclusion and how important it is, etc. But they will maybe only look at it through a business benefit lens. And Correct. if you're only doing right, OK, well, how, how will this improve my productivity and everything? You're missing the point entirely. Mm. Um, mm. But what you're saying there and obviously what you're doing is that if you want to make it, if you want it to happen, you have to make it happen. It is not going to happen on its own. Yes. You've got to go out and make it happen and you've got to lead. And it takes a lot of time and effort. Right? It's time mm. and effort, but well invested. And everything that you've said is because that's that's where the time and effort invested is giving the most. That's where it's going to be the most beneficial. That's what I'm hearing yeah. from you talking. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, look, that brings us very neatly uh, into the big leadership idea. Um, mm. Lots of things you've talked around here in, in terms of leadership, but tell me what you've you found um, through your experience and through the way that you've changed and adapted um, and, and all the diversity that you've, you've had in your life and you've brought into your life. What's, what is your big leadership idea? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll cast my mind back again to and, and my experience back to Oxford. I, I, I still remember so vividly, you know, there was 35 of us um, in a group and um, Mr. Mason from, um, from Nigeria, um, Mr. Mason was, uh, he was in his mid-60s, um, he had a PhD, he had a master's, he was just this incredibly... Um, incredible man um, who ran security at um, at Shell in Nigeria, um, and so this was a man that um, had, on too many occasions to count, had had his life threatened, um, his family life threatened, his house bombed, his car bombed. Um, you know, just lots and lots of violent acts uh, against him because he was guarding, uh, he and his team were guarding um, Shell's reserves and, um, you know, people people wanted them uh, and, yeah, well, I should say criminals wanted it. So, but I still remember every single case study that we did, um, Mr Mason would always come back to, well, what, how would the people think? How would the people feel? Um, what's the impact on communities? What's the impact on families? Uh, and I still remember that. And, and the quote of uh, Maya Angelou um, is, uh, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Uh, and I think that really um, encapsulates, you know, that big leadership idea that, you know, very often we get caught up in systems and processes and technology and platforms and we forget that it's quite simple. you just got to make people feel good about what they're doing um, and if they don't feel good, 
you need to make some changes. Either they need to make some changes or you need to make some changes. So it's not especially, you know, um, uh, you know, mind-blowing, uh, but it's kind of back to basics. And I, and I feel this is a really great time to highlight it because what 2020 has taught us is that we get back to what's important. You know, so many people sitting in living rooms, sitting in lounge rooms, sitting in studies in the last 12 months have gone, have said, do I need to talk to that person? Do I need to answer that email? Uh, do I need to maintain communication with that person? Do I need to, you know, increase communication with that person? That's all because people have truly um, sat down and whether subconsciously or consciously and said, uh, this is important and therefore I'm going to do it because I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to muck around with the, you know, the, the, the quotation uh, water cooler conversation. So really um, focusing on the people um, would be, you know, or, or refocusing on the people is, is really the big leadership idea. And, and, and that's been, you know, some of my key learnings, not just from the last 12 months, but also, you know, working in a business that thinks about, um, both making money as well as social impact and intentionally creating social impact, but then also being allowed around amazing people, particularly in the not-for-profit world, working on incredible initiatives that are changing people's lives. Yeah, and I think that, I think you're absolutely right. We have seen that so much more through the pandemic, the importance of, of the support to, the, to people and helping them get through um, yeah, you know that that has kept organisations together. That's kept organisations allowed organisations to excel where they've done that well. I think those mm. organisations, because the people uh, have been able to thrive regardless of what's going on uh, on around them. Um, and there's something about that sort of safety. You know, we talk about mm. this a lot, and that's really a key po- point of inclusion diversity, creating that safety within an organization through your leadership uh, to allow people to thrive to allow people to bring bring them bring themselves and their ideas absolutely absolutely key um and i think i think we covered it um in in our um in some of our conversations that we've had philippa where you know you're running big teams um it is um in in this virtual environment uh a bit easier to drop in and out of meetings, but also to then, you know, pick up on body language, pick up on some of those cues to go, you know what, that person didn't look quite right. I might, you know, pick up the phone, go and talk to them, send them a basket of flowers, send them some food, you know, that sort of thing. Um, because yeah, they're, they're probably just struggling at the moment. So, you know, uh, that is, I guess, one good um, consequence of this is that there are a lot more leaders, um, you know, like you, like I, like like so many others that are, you know, constantly asking themselves, you know, are, are you okay? You know, that uh, that that's that's a really good question to ask, and and that simple question, are you okay, should always be asked several times to the same person in the space of about 30 seconds because you'll quickly work out whether they're okay or not. Because <laughs> yeah. if they're not, they'll go, 
because if they if 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 they're not, they'll go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, and then they'll say, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good, and then eventually they're like, no, I'm not, and this is what's happening for me. So, you know, that's also a really really good question. You know, along with that why question is, you know, are you okay? Ask that often, ask that frequently of people around you. Um, I think it's uh, yeah, need, needs to be part of everyone's vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And um, you're, you're right, because most, most people will initially respond, yeah, yeah I'm absolutely fine. So it's the, <laughs> the getting into it and giving it the time. But as you sort of said, you know, we're leaders, we're here to lead people. People are, you know, that's what it's about. People do the work. Um, mm. So the leadership needs to, to be focused on, on the people that are around us. It's been um, great actually this morning Giles really um if diversity and inclusion is one of my big big areas of focus so it's it's brilliant to hear it from your point of view and to see what you're doing in that area and just see how it's underpinned everything it's not something that you've come to like lots of Mm. people at a certain point in your career because it's the right thing to do but it's just underpinned every sort of choice that you've made Mm. um and there's as taking you on to do the brilliant things that you're doing now so it's been it's been great thank you very much for your time oh thank um, you philippa really appreciate you taking the time i'm i'm gonna ask you um now for the soundtrack uh, that would uh that sort of tells us about your leadership journey if you have one mm. to share with us yeah yeah there's a really great song uh by a singer who um didn't do a lot, but the work that she did was uh, was 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 really really good. It's uh, the singer is Desiree, um, and the song is "You, you Got to Be." Um, and I know that you're going to play the song, and I'm certainly not going to sing it, Philippa. But I, I thought it would be really good just to highlight the chorus, which is um, "You got to be bad, you got to be bold, you got to be wiser, you got to be hard, you got to be tough, you got to be stronger, you got to be cool, you got to be calm, you got to stay together." All I know, all I know is that love will save the day. Uh, and I think um, that really, you know, reflects, you know, the conversation that we've had around, you know, dealing with adversity, um, ensuring there's diversity and inclusion, um, ensuring that, you know, you are retaining, uh, maintaining a, an element of calmness, but also there's a point in life where you just got to stand up for yourself and, and push forward uh, because if you don't, no, no one else will. Um, so I really love, um, you know, one, it's, it's kind of a bit of an old school song and it's been around in my life for a while, uh, but also two, just the, just the words um, just really symbolize, you know, what the leadership journey has been, you know, for me and a lot of people, uh, but also that, yeah, it's not, it's not perfect. It's not linear. Uh, but ultimately, um, giving it a go um, and uh, and 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 staying the course, and and most importantly, learning from your experiences uh, is is really crucial. Yeah, and actually, when you were saying it, I was thinking, I, I think I know that song, and I was slightly disappointed that you didn't sing. However, I may, <laughs> I may, I may get future future uh, members to do that. Um, absolutely, I do know that song very well. So it's a great choice. Thank you very much. Um, so thank you, and thank you for your energy because that set me up for the day. Um, there's <laughs> one thing that you said um, which I absolutely loved, and I'm just going to tease out um, through all of it just you said I knew I was going to get there and Mm. I love that 
that's that's mm. that's my phrase of the day so i'm going to share that with <laughs> i'm going to share that with my team because they'll enjoy it have a look, have a have a lovely evening uh, thank you so thank much thank you philippa and thank well. you so much really appreciate your time all the best look forward to okay. seeing you soon take care okay. bye 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 Unfolds, challenge what the future Try and keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears. Go ahead, release your fears. Stand up and be counting. Don't be ashamed to cry. You gotta be, you gotta be bad. You gotta be bold. You gotta be wiser. You gotta be hard. You gotta be tough. You gotta be stronger. Gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together. All I know, all I know, live and save the day. Hell, what your mother said, read the books you'll find.